Hello there. Today we continue our pre-draft rookie analysis by taking a look at the quarterback and tight end prospects. Welcome to the Pretend GM Fantasy Football Show presented by Football Guys. I'm Alfredo Brown, and today I'm going to be taking a bit of a backseat because I have got some really, really smart, very well-respected talent evaluators that are joining me today as guests. I have got Jordan Van Eck from the 33rd team. You can follow him on Twitter at Jordan Van Eck DFS. Jordan, you guys have a lot of really cool stuff going on over at the 33rd team. And uh, man, I just, I want to take a moment here and just go ahead and shout out your stuff. Tell us what you've been working on. Yeah, for me, I've been doing a lot of research projects behind the scene. I've leaked a little bit here and there what I've been working on, but we have a rookie draft guide coming out where I handled majority of the receiver work. So you'll see some bullet pointed notes on who I think in this class will be top tier or be producing in fantasy. Awesome. Well, very, very happy to have you on the show here. And you mentioned rookie guides, and I think I have the grandmaster of all rookie guides here today, Matt Waldman. You can find his work over here at Football Guys and the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. You can follow him on Twitter at Matt Waldman. These guys are pointing back and forth. Uh, So, Matt, you have got what I believe to be the most in-depth rookie guide of any that I have seen anywhere can you please just promote the rookie scouting portfolio a little bit here for the listeners sure i've been doing this for 18 years since 2006 i basically use um management and operations management quality management principles that i learned in a different lifetime and applied it to this to to grow it to the point where it is one of the one of the more purchased draft guides by um nfl personnel people and scouts according to folks like um smu's director of recruiting alex brown who visits with these guys on a weekly basis for his job so he knows who you know he knows what these guys are looking at and um you can find it at mattwaldman.com it's for 21.95 you get a pre-draft and post-draft guide with a newsletter and a certain percentage of the funds up to five thousand dollars go to darkness to light an organization devoted to preventing sexual abuse of children great organization we've given over fifty five thousand dollars um through 2022 from let's see 2012 so over the past decade we've given over fifty five thousand dollars really proud of that and we're aiming to get over 60 this year that is phenomenal a great product going towards a great cause well, from, from a great person. So guys, I am really happy to have you guys on today. Like I mentioned, I'm gonna take a little bit of a backseat because the two of you just have such a wealth of knowledge that uh, I, I want to hear what you guys have to say, breaking down these quarterbacks and tight ends. Today, we continue to build our dynasty rookie rankings with some expert scouting reports on the top quarterbacks in the 2023 NFL draft. We'll be using the consensus rookie rankings from the football guys website as our starting point. Okay, so this is a little bit of a different exercise. We're going to pit two subsequently ranked quarterbacks against each other, and then we'll vote on which quarterback we rank higher. The winner gets ranked. The loser continues to move down the list. Gentlemen, let's get started with the QB one here. And Based on the football guys' rankings, it is C.J. Stroud versus Bryce Young. Matt, get us started here. Who are you picking between C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young? I think from this standpoint, if you're looking for, you know, if we're talking from a fantasy perspective early on or really from a real football perspective early on, and we don't know what team it's going to, he's a player's going to go to from a scout's point of view, and you're scouting. Uh, you know, for a wide range of outcomes, CJ Stroud is the safest pick because really what you're looking at is a player who understands, really knows how to incorporate all the different types of drops, um, different elements of the play action game. Um, And so when you transition from college football to the NFL, 
usually what happens is that the complexity of the defenses, the higher the higher end athletes who are at every position, um, the the volume of the playbook that you have to learn and the adjustments and being on the same page with your receivers, all of that requires you to have to process more information at a even faster rate than what you were doing before. And when you're doing that, if you've done any type of complex task in your life and everyone has is, you know, it's like driving, you know, if you've learned how to drive. Many of you who are listening to this have driven from at least 10 years, if not 20, 30 or 40. If you were driving, you know, if you're driving in Atlanta or LA, fine, that's cool. But if you're driving in, an, in, in a highway that's like, say, Boston or New York City, but you're doing it at, you know, 70, 80 miles an hour, or let's say 150 to 180 miles an hour on a track at Talladega, um, you know, suddenly all those fundamentals that you knew, if you really don't know them that well, they deteriorate. Um, and the first things that deteriorate for players is drop footwork, drop speed, precision of where they're standing, what their releases look like if they're not strong. And C.J. Stroud has the strongest fundamentals of the group right now. So as he makes these transitions, he's less likely to have to think about some of those things. It's just still going to be ingrained in his game. It's not going to deteriorate. So from an overall standpoint, he also plays the safest in terms of the decisions that he makes. He maybe to a fault. He, there are throws that you say, hey, as a as a top top quarterback, an elite quarterback, there's some throws you go, I wish you would have tried that. But on the other hand, there are enough that you look at and you say, at least he knows himself and says, I'm looking for the check down. And look, one of the greatest quarterbacks all day, every day, and Tom Brady um, knew when to take the check down on a regular basis, and he'd beat you because he found the simple solutions. And the best quarterbacks not only make those big plays, but they also do find the simple solutions. And Stroud, I think I, you know, from that standpoint, those are the things that make them safe. Yeah. And Stroud, I think is the guy that everyone looks at as one of the safest in this class. He, he's very much the Tim Duncan amongst these quarterbacks here, the big fundamental, so to speak. And uh, he, he just, he, he's got that really good baseline, but Jordan, I want to talk to you about something that we saw from CJ Stroud. That was a bit different from his entire college game. And that was his final collegiate game against Georgia, where we saw a player who looked very different. He was running around. He was a lot more mobile. Um, he is everything that I think had he been doing that throughout his career, I think fantasy managers, dynasty managers in particular, would be a lot more excited about his potential at the next level. So as an evaluator, when you look at that last game from CJ Stroud, how much weight do you put into a game like that? A big opponent, big stage, and we saw something totally different from it. Yeah, you don't want to put, you know, every bit of your scouting portfolio into one game. When you're playing a defense, the caliber of Georgia and watching him be willing to run it's not that he wasn't capable before it's the difference between the guys of you know the lamar jacksons obviously he's an elite athlete elite runner and a player like justin herbert who doesn't want to run is their situational awareness and being able to or wanting to do it and for the first time in cj stroud's collegiate career he was willing to especially when marvin harrison went down when he knew he didn't have that mismatch it was okay if they're going man if they're going to take away you know some of my top tier options and Agbuka and some of the receivers that came in i'm going to be willing runner and that type type of tape helped justin herbert in his final collegiate game when he was playing i believe wisconsin in the rose bowl and that's what kind of translated here for cj stroud for me especially since the big 10 it's funky when their defenses like sometimes they just sell out on the run game even against an Ohio State they'll blitz a ton and you're not matching up against those receivers so he's throwing to wide open guys and then some games 
Ryan Day would try to throw C.J. Stroud into eight people in coverage. I think it was the Northwestern uh, Big Ten Championship two years ago where they struggled, and it was because Northwestern was playing rushing three and playing eight in coverage. And it doesn't matter your receivers. If you have that many people in coverage, three players running routes, you should be able to cover them all. So for me, Stroud proved that he can play an elite defense and be able to get it done on the ground, as well as just being smart with the football and the throws he made to Marvin Harrison were unreal, especially against the top tier corner like uh, Khalid Ringo. So for that, that was a kind of icing on the cake for Stroud's collegiate career. And it kind of proved to me like, okay, he's in the discussion with Bryce Young. These two guys are going to be going at it for the number one pick. Yeah. And something you mentioned there, right, is just the difference between being able to run around and do all those things and then actually choosing to do that. And I think that's something that gets lost on the average viewer, the average fantasy manager is that not that CJ Stroud can't run around, but he was always going for what seemed to be the simpler, safer play, the the longer play and actually sticking to what his playbook had going through his reads and his progressions. And I think that that's something to consider here, right? We always talk about quarterback being, it's almost the position that everyone has given up scouting on. Cause they're like, Oh, every time we think there's a safe guy, he's not that safe. And so it's just, maybe it is okay to just actually like the safe prospect here. And all three of us went with CJ Stroud as the number one quarterback for our rankings here. Well, if you've been enjoying this episode, be sure to leave a review for the podcast on Apple or Spotify. Five stars helps a lot. I really mean it. You guys don't know how much that really helps me as a show host and it helps football guys. And I get to keep my job. It, it, it keeps Joe Bryant really happy. So please just take a moment, a five-star review, talk about how much you love the show or how much you hate it. You can tell me how much you hate it. Just leave five stars. That's cool. Uh, and if you want to maybe take our relationship here to the next level, Come and check us out on YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash football guys. Watch every episode. Leave us nice comments because, you know, YouTube comments are not always so nice. And uh, we'll give you some uh, awesome content in return. Okay. It's a nice relationship. It's very reciprocal over here at Pretend GM. Gentlemen, let's move on to our quarterback number two. And we've got a matchup here of polar opposites. Little man Bryce Young or the big athletic freak Anthony Richardson. Matt, I'm going to let you start us off here because I, before I even asked this question, I knew which way you were going. So, uh, Anthony Richardson, how does your evaluation process change when you look at a player like him that has all these tools but didn't really have a lot of pro talent around him like C.J. Stroud, didn't win a lot of games consistently like Bryce Young, and uh, a lot of people point out doesn't have the experience as a starting quarterback. So how do you project something like that to the next level? Well, I think it begins with it when you're building an evaluation um, process for players that you, what you're looking at is you're trying to project towards the NFL. So you watch a lot of NFL and then you define things in writing in a manner where you're looking at specific skills and traits that are as much as possible independent of the surrounding talent or talent that you're facing opposite you. Um, now, it can be problematic when you're, say, playing FCS or Division three and you're trying to project to, to the NFL. That's understandable. But I found over the years, especially, you know, I look at positions like even like running back, like with guys like Matt Forte, when I watched him play an LSU national championship team where the there was one guy on Tulane that could out bench press everybody. I mean, the, uh, anybody on the LSU team, like there were guys on special teams that could out bench press everybody on that Tulane team. And Matt Forte's box score performance was horrific. But I came away with a huge grade of him. So really, when you're looking at, you know, I can think of Joseph Adiah, Ahmad Bradshaw, guys like that. Even when looking at at quarterbacks, the same thing is there. Is that when you 
when you study those players, what you're looking at are, are things that project well the NFL. Because in contrast, you can look at things like, you know, um, completion percentage. And people often look at completion percentage and they don't realize that if they're, when you chart a play, that's different than looking at a box score. So I chart quarterback throws and I chart it against what I define as NFL caliber moments, you know, in terms of touch, accuracy, is it catchable accuracy? And to me, that's something that's, you know, whether it's something that the receiver has in a reasonable shot of catching, not a difficult catch where I expect that it's not catchable or shouldn't be considered catchable, but they catch the ball anyway. And then pinpoint accuracy, the kind of accuracy that, you know, Bill Walsh told Mike Holmgren years ago when he said, nice catch, nice throw, Joe, that he took him aside and said, don't tell Joe Montana that that was a nice throw because it was placed here on a post route and it should be placed here. And these, you know, these are the types of things that we're talking about. So when I grade a player like Richardson, what I saw was, with his charted accuracy, it was much higher than um, statistical accuracy. In the way that when you look at Baker Mayfield, his his charted accuracy was much lower than his statistical accuracy. And so you have so when you look at a guy like Richardson, what I saw was a player who really efficiently moved well in the pocket under pressure, could keep his feet under him, and while he has some accuracy issues based on his footwork, they're correctable types of things. Um, the things that were just came off that just went off the film and just slapped you in the face and said, this guy can be special is not the running. That's, you know, that that's the case for 99% of what people are viewing. But if you're really charting plays, what you see is, okay, he's not just manipulating safeties. He's manipulating linebackers and flat defenders and cornerbacks, and he's doing it on the move and he's placing the ball only where the receiver can um, catch it. He's making J- Josh um, Justin Herbert throws, layering the ball over linebackers after manipulating them to create the space and fitting it into um, triangles of coverage that are really tight. And he's doing it while moving in the pocket or moving and flushing and rolling to his right. He's integrating skills that if you, you know, for years, if you go to big draft and go, oh, Mitchell Trubisky. What's he good at? Well, he's really good at being able to maneuver. Look how he manipulated this defender on this one play. Look how he did this on another play. Look how he did on the and and you're going to hear this on every big, you know, four three and four letter network and big draft this year about singular things they show on one play as opposed to doing three or four of those things at once on one play. So, sure, is he going to miss cover 2 and have a pick 6? Yes. Is he going to is he not going to recognize certain things and look horrific trying to make a heroic throw with a defender in his chest because he's got a 10 RAS score and he's a big, strong dude who thinks he can do it like Matt Stafford did over a decade ago? Absolutely. And in three years, he's going to be the best quarterback in this class, if you ask me, because the things that you can't teach him, that, that you can't teach these other players to integrate because they haven't shown it by now, by now, if you're not integrating at this speed, if you don't have these ingrained things at this speed, it's unlikely that you're going to acquire them and then bring them into your game. But if you already have them, and all you've got to do is see cover two a little more often, all you've got to do is to learn not to be the hero in this situation, and all you've got to do is learn a little bit of footwork um, to with your drops, I'm taking that guy. 
And, you know, it's it's very interesting because I think that when it comes down to, you mentioned big draft, right? Uh, NFL <laughs> draft versus fantasy draft. And I think it, it comes down to just a fundamental way of how you look at it. Like, do you look at these prospects and say, yeah, I want the guy that presents me the highest floor? Because whether we're talking about CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, any of these players, how much of what they've already done, how much of that shows that it doesn't really have a big ceiling to continue to grow more and more and more. Whereas we're talking about, you know, so many of big draft and, you know, the three, four letter networks talk about Anthony Richardson being raw. And if that's the case, think about how much better he can be and how much more he can grow in the league, in the right system with good coaching and uh, having this opportunity to uh, refine these skills. And so, and yeah, the difference between raw can be is interesting too. Because I've, I've used this analogy, but I, I would use it again here because I think it's a good one. Is Say, Alfredo, you and, and, and Jordan are, are going to go to Vietnam, okay, and learn, learn a language, okay? And say, Alfredo, you, because I know you, I'm going to pick on you. So you're going to be like the <laughs> Trubisky-esque. You're going to be like the Trubisky-esque Jake um, Drew Locke, you know, any of these robo quarterbacks who everybody prays that is going to be a first round pick who has the body, the arm, the playing experience, played in the right conference, all of that stuff, all the safe stuff, right? Um, you've had two years of language experience at home. You've been had a practice partner at school. You got an app. You hired a tour guide who's going to keep you out of like the neighborhoods where they're going to rip you off or you know, God forbid, rob you or any kind of thing like that. You go over there. You've been doing it for two years. And then Jordan, you're the Anthony Richardson type who's basically nice. like, you're going to get six months. You know, you're going to get six months. You don't have the app. You don't have a tour guide. You're just going to head over there after you've had six <laughs> months of practice partners and class. So Alfredo heads over there. And sure enough, you know, he's had a great experience. He's made some friends, a couple of friends. You know, most of them are expats like him from some other country <laughs> who've come over there. When he's got the God, he's never had any trouble. He's learned a good bit. But the, the best things he's probably learned is where's the bathroom and can you slow down? Can you speak a little slower, please, and repeat that? Thank you. And, and then he's still using the app, you know. Jordan, on the other hand, heads into Ho Chi Minh and winds up like he gets robbed in the first week. He gets ripped off a few times by vendors. It looks <laughs> embarrassing. He's thinking about going home. But the thing is, he, he listens at this, the rate of a native speaker. He speaks at the rate of a native speaker. Um, he can hear emotion and infer and do all the different things that you would do as a native speaker. He just wasn't experienced in the cultural ways that you can get ripped off in Vietnam versus where he is somewhere down south in the United States here. That I, you know, so it's like it's just a different cultural experience. It's not that he's raw with the fundamental, the things that are the fundamentals. Most of the things that are really truly fundamental about football, he's not really raw. In fact, he's yep. quite advanced about it, like I just described with Richardson. So as a result, when the second time the guy tries to rip him off, he tells a joke and makes it a funny thing. And the guy instantly likes him, takes him under his wing and is like, we're friends. I'm not going to try to rip you off anymore. I'm sorry about that. In fact, I'm going to show you around and I'm going to show you all the good deals. I'm going to show you all these things and you're going to make friends with them and their families and Look everybody. You, like Jordan. That. And next thing you know, yeah. Jordan is like, 
Jordan could stay in Vietnam if he wanted to and have quite a life. And, you know, and to me, that's the difference between Raw, when we describe Anthony Richardson, and really what Raw is when you look at Mitchell Trubisky, Drew Locke, um, you know, Zach Wilson, and the whole lot of those guys that people say were, were ready to be top 15 picks. So that's my take on it, at least. Matt, you just took us on a journey, my friend. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And you know what? And I don't know if there was a better way that you could have illustrated that uh, exactly the point you were trying to make there. So, Matt, you are going with Anthony Richardson here over Bryce Young. <laughs> Long story short. And Jordan, you are up now. Who do we have, Anthony Richardson or Bryce Young? I am going with Anthony Richardson as well. And to add on to, you know, the Is it because Vietnam, of all the Vietnam stuff or just <laughs> <laughs> it's it's true that Anthony Richardson isn't the quote unquote raw prospect. And the one thing that stood out to me in his film is his pocket awareness. I was surprised to see how well he moved in the pocket. There's a few throws he made against Tennessee that were just unreal. Like you just Bryce Young can't do that. CJ Stroud can't do it. And those are things that I love when I see a quarterback because pocket awareness is going to be a huge thing for a guy like him where he can run. So if he escapes that pocket in the NFL, he's gone. Like there's not many things he's going to not be able to do right away. And from a fantasy point of view, he's a willing runner. I know he likes it. I know that he enjoys running in through people like he can do it all in terms of the quarterback position. I hope he kind of is a person that stays or gets put into a right spot with a coach that's going to be willing to work with him and a staff that stays together because I think that is a crucial thing for a quarterback like this. It can't be a situation where he's changing quarterbacks, coordinators, or quarterbacks coach each year. It needs to be what Josh Allen was brought into, where he had Dable and I believe he had Ken Dorsey for his first four years in the NFL. It took a little bit. It took them to get, you know, Stefan Diggs instead of having Kelvin Benjamin. For Cam Newton, he had Ron Rivera. He had Ken Dorsey as well. And I believe uh, we made a move in year two, but Cam Newton was a more refined prospect than Anthony Richardson is at this point. But overall, I love Richardson for fantasy. I think he's my quarterback one. So that's actually the next question I was going to have for you because I have not done a lot of quarterback evaluation this year, been focused more on this running back and wide receiver class. And I really wanted to hear what you guys said. And you have tipped the scales in my mind as we're here on the show towards Richardson. I've even changed my answer on the show sheet just because of, of how much I love what you guys are saying. But you also bring up something really interesting here, Jordan, not just Anthony Richardson versus Bryce Young, but does Anthony Richardson deserve to be the quarterback one for fantasy purposes or even NFL purposes here? Should he be the, the, the top quarterback? I think so. I think from a redraft format, it's not an easy sell because he could easily be the guy that sits and kind of takes a step back for a little bit just because some coaches kind of want to do that instead of throwing him in the fire. But from a dynasty perspective, he can be the number one quarterback. It would be a surprise if Bryce Young or Stroud enter into the top five even unless they get paired with what you know burrow has where he has jamar chase and t higgins because it's it's difficult for justin herbert who's a guy that's phenomenal but can he be the number can he outpass mahomes who has Travis kelsey and tyree hill when he was first three years like you need the talent around them and they have to be specially talented and then you need the offense to be an andy reed level one to consistently produce year in year out matt are you kind of along the same wavelength there that richardson should be this quarterback one two words no doubt you know, Ooh, I mean, I, I think he's it. 
I, 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 I would take him in an NFL setting too, just because I think that if the team really understood exactly how Jordan laid it out is that you need someone who, you know, if you can establish, we're going to bring him along. We know it's going to be a little bit of a process because the fans and our owner are probably going to, because they're the same thing. They're going to probably freak out about when they see an interception and somebody on a big, on a four and three letter network starts reaming him for the dumb plays that he made and that he's not ready, but they don't know that they don't know how to read leverage. Those, the people who are talking don't think about leverage, don't think about pocket presence, as Jordan astutely pointed out. And they don't understand that also. I'm a little biased because I contribute reports to uh, some some quarterback coaches, and one of them is Will Hewlett, who actually coached Anthony Richardson. Now, I didn't give him number one because of that. I didn't know. I mean, I I didn't know what um, Will thought of him when I can, gave the report to him in December, but I knew where I had Richardson after I did my write-ups, and I did the same thing with Brock Purdy for him last year. Is you know, but like he said, Anthony Richardson is an elite learner. He said the guy is unlike anybody he's worked with, and he's worked with a number of pros. He's worked with a number of college guys. He works with, for Drew Bledsoe's son. Drew Bledsoe's son in high school, he coaches him. I'd say if you got a former Pro Bowl quarterback who says, I need someone to work with my kid, who am I going to pick? Um, I would I'd take somebody like that. So when he says that Richardson translates from the whiteboard to the field better than most, to me it's just about a coach going, what works best for Richardson? And it's not just the, you know, we're going to dumb it down by letting him use his legs. What works best for him as a thrower, because he can throw. It's a matter of what we can do that makes him most comfortable. And if that happens, it, he's he's clearly quarterback one. As much as we're hearing things like, it's absurd that he's quarterback in a, a top five quarterback. But, you know, whatever, it's draft time. <laughs> it certainly is draft time and we're gonna we're gonna hear so much of these like back and forth things and rumors and uh like you mentioned the big networks and a big draft as we're gonna call it from now on because I, I love that term uh but this is what has made quarterback evaluation so tough it's these intangible things and and seeing how do these players learn how do they adjust and I don't think that's something that a lot of us on the outside that are just looking in and saying oh I really want to draft Anthony Richardson because he's the best athlete we've ever seen at the position there's got to be a little bit more nuance than that. And so that this is why I was so happy to bring you guys on the show is you were able to dive in a bit more and uh, you marry analytics and the film together so well because that's what it needs. It needs that nuance. It's not just his completion percentage. It's charting these passes and why that completion percentage was what it was. Uh, excellent. I know we spent a lot of time there on Anthony Richardson, but that is, uh, I'd say, probably one of the most talked about prospects in this entire draft class. Gentlemen, let's move on here to quarterback three where we've got Bryce Young, or Will Levis, Matt, once again, I'm going to let you start first. Well, listen, I mean, I'm happy with all three of the top quarterbacks in this class in terms of being prospects. So if someone said to me that Bryce Young, who's my number three, would be um, to have has production better than any of the other two that, that we've already discussed, wouldn't be shocked by that if he's in the right offense. Um, without a doubt. Do I think he's going to be a successful quarterback? Absolutely. He Again, he doesn't have the drop plans that you see at Alabama from a spread and from pistol that you're going to see from a guy like Stroud at Ohio State. Um, but what he does, he does well. He, and the most important things that he does, you talk about the, intrin the intangibles or things that they're trying to make more tangible, is how fast you process information. 
because that's really the key to great quarterbacking. Brett Favre didn't know anything about X's and O's early in his career. We hear the famous story about not knowing what nickel was, and he had to ask Ty Detmer in the middle of a meeting two years into his starting gig in Green Bay after he was throwing balls like a carnival act with Jerry Glanville in, down here in Atlanta. Um, but the thing was is that he read leverage. He understood the position you know, where the defender was on the receiver at the top of his stem and said, that's going to break open, and that he could integrate all those skills to make it happen. And that's where Bryce Young is very good. Um, and he does a great job of being able to process that information and place the ball based on that leverage with just expert skill. To me, he's – to me, people worry about his size, but I look at a guy like um, – you know, Kyler Murray. And I would say that while he's not as fast as Kyler Murray or as good of a runner as Kyler Murray, he's a far better pocket manager than Kyler Murray, who I always, you know, we've all seen it. Yeah. Kyler Murray can extend a play for eight seconds. That's great. His receivers now have to reroute several times. There were multiple times before he extended it for eight seconds that he could have made just an efficient movement and gotten rid of the ball. But instead, the head goes down, the ball goes, you know, way, way behind him, and he runs to a spot. So now he has to reset his feet, get his the ball back into position, and then get his eyes downfield. And by the time that happened, whoever was open is no longer open again. So now he's got to do it again and again and again. And that looks great on a four-letter network, but it doesn't look great. Um, it doesn't look great when you're talking about wins and losses in the scoreboard and and efficiency. And Bryce Young has been doing since high school what, which is the opposite of Kyler Murray, which is moving, you know, moving efficiently and getting into the ball quickly, and under and being able to take make simple solutions out of difficult circumstances. And when you have that kind of skill, um, listen, it, we can talk about size to death about this, but I remember growing up watching a guy with basically. Um, you know, calves that looked like a baby's arm in Joe Montana playing in an era that was a far, far more punishing on quarterbacks than it is today. And he managed to have a pretty long career. And then after that, a guy by the name of Drew Brees, who, you know, maybe he's he worked really hard to get in shape and to to be bigger than what he was um, at Purdue. But he was still a short dude who could who could you know really thrive at, in the league statistically. So. When I look at Bryce Young, yeah, there's a concern. One hit could really, one bad hit. But you could say that Carson Palmer's career changed forever on one bad hit. And he was the prototypical quarterback if you ever saw one. So I'm I'm a huge fan of Bryce Young. And, uh, you know, when you look at those skills, the processing, the pocket feel, the management, it's all there. See, I love the context that you provide here. There's a bit of nuance to how quarterbacks extend plays. And I know that's become one of the new sexy traits, right? Josh Allen can extend plays. Lamar Jackson extends plays. But there is something to be said about a guy like Bryce Young who can keep the calm within the craziness, right? And just make a nice, subtle move that not only keeps the play alive, but does what the play intended. And I think that's that's the different thing, right? Is these quarterbacks that extend plays that not doing what the play intended. And I think that almost limits them. And we talk about how that, that brings so much more potential in, in many cases, it actually limits them. Uh, Jordan, you went the same direction here, Bryce young. So I've got a question for you because uh, Matt touched on this a little bit. And it's something that has been talked about every single time Bryce young gets brought up. He's small. 
It's not an intangible thing. Like we see it. He's small. He's short. He doesn't weigh a lot. Uh, his weight at the combine is probably not his real weight. And like he had a really big breakfast. If he's successful in the NFL, he is by every means an outlier. Uh, some analysts have him as a top quarterback. Some have him as QB three or even lower. Is there a scenario for you, Jordan, where Bryce Young can catapult up into being the top quarterback in this draft? Or is that really not even that big uh, of a gap right now? Uh, it's not that big of a gap right now. I think the perfect landing spot for fantasy and kind of where I see Bryce Young going would be the Lions if he somehow fell to them or they moved up to go get him just because I know that Amon Ra and James. You're talking Williams. dirty to me, man. You're yeah. talking so <laughs> dirty to me. Bryce Young and Jamison Williams getting back together. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's the couple we need. Oh, yeah. And I mean, everybody compares Bryce Young similar to like Steph Curry in a way. I think he's more like Jason Kidd or someone that's just controlling an offense. And he needs to be in a situation where he can do that. He can't go to a team that doesn't have talent around him and kind of turn water into wine, sort of sense, because he's not that style of player. His last year at Alabama, he had the most rushing yards because of his ability or the ability that these receivers didn't have at getting open. At Alabama, they, he was great when he had the guys. When they took him away, he wasn't as special, and it showed up in some games. Bryce Young still is an unbelievable player. I have no doubt in my mind that he will be a good pro. He's going to be an outlier just because there's not many guys built like him. And Waldman touched on you know, his size. I'm not worried about it because the way he throws. His arm is much higher like release point than it is some of the, like his size in terms of some guys. Like, I think it was Joe Flacco or Brock Osweiler had the most batted down balls of any quarterback in a single season. They're 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, Bryce Young doesn't really get passes batted down, even though he is really small, because he throws it at a higher release point and over guys in the certain windows. I think he's going to be fine. I think for fantasy, it'll take going to the Lions for me to kind of bump him up. Like If he ends up with the Texans, and even if they take uh, JSN with their 12th overall pick, Still not quite there for me just yet. I think that that's a spot where it's realistic for him, but it's going to be a difficult approach to pass Richardson because of just the ceiling. And for me, with quarterback, I want ceiling, not necessarily safe play. I'd rather go for the Patrick Mahomes style of guy than someone who just turns into a just good quarterback. Weird thing for us on today's episode, we have referenced one too many basketball players, probably the most on any pretend GM episode. So <laughs> that's 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 a nice little milestone that we've hit here. I'm also going with Bryce Young. That was a clean sweep there. And I don't think that surprises anyone that we went Bryce Young over Will Levis here. So Will Levis now moves down to the quarterback four discussion where we are going to pit him against Hendon Hooker. This is a player who has been getting a lot of smoke that he could potentially be going in the first round. Matt, I'm going to start this off with a question for you. Because this evaluation, just the minimal evaluation that I've done, has been so tough for me because of the offense he ran. And I think that's always going to be one of the first things that gets brought up with Hendon Hooker is the, the crazy, uh, as Matt Harmon calls it, Looney Tunes Mickey Mouse offense that's over at Tennessee. Uh, it's very limited, and oftentimes it cut the field in half, didn't have to make too many reads. Uh, you're also going to get comments about his age. You're going to get comments about the ACL. So what parts of his game, Hendon Hooker, do you see translating to the next level? Sure. And, you know, you can go back to the Virginia Tech tape if you don't want to see as crazy of an offense um, based on what, you know, people look at. Though at the same time, my buddy Mark Schofield, who we all know as a quarterback evaluator, who's a little crazy because um, he's on my show um, more often than he should be probably, is that uh, – <laughs> 
you know, he said, you know, maybe this offense and this Baylor-esque Art Bryles type of offense that's influenced what's going on in Tennessee, maybe it will make its way to the NFL in five to seven years. And if it starts to do that because of the hiring of college coordinators, it might not be so crazy. But the problem is it's ahead of the hookers then five to seven years too early um, to, to be able to take advantage of that. But the things that he does reasonably well is that he will stand in the pocket. Um, he will throw the ball in the middle of the field. Um, he certainly has the deep arm that you're looking for. He has some deep accuracy um, that he can continue to leverage um, in terms of being someone that can create a little bit on the move. He can do some of that for sure. Um, now, my thought, you know, overall, when you posed this question, I joked when we were when we were having our pre-show discussion, I said, can you fire me now? Um, yeah, as a first round, if I have to pick one of these guys in the first round, can I just quit or should I just wait to be fired? Which one's better for my career? Um, but, but hooker, I think is the safer of the players from the standpoint of this is that I think he can, from a leverage reading perspective, from what he does in the pocket, that he can have a three, five, seven year career as a potential backup maybe he'll get to become a backup if not a journeyman starter in the league if things start to click um with his game and part of it is is that mechanically i think he's a more mechanically fundamentally sound thrower of the football than will levis is at this stage and he also is where he's a beats two or three slow maybe it's because i noticed it most on the vertical throws which is his strength but he can be a beater, beater three slow with some of those, which may not project as well the NFL. And maybe it's because it's so wide open. I didn't see it as much in the middle of the field and it may get worse in the middle of the field when you project that way. But um, all of that was still to say, um, I prefer him. I think he's still a safer pick than Levis at this stage. Now, Jordan, you agree with Matt here. You went with Hendon Hooker. And I know there's a lot of people that don't have love for Will Levis. And I mean, believe me, I'm one of them. Like, I'm not super into Will Levis either. And I, I, he's got, he, he's just got absolutely horrible pocket awareness. And we've seen that. Plus, he puts mayonnaise in his coffee and eats bananas with the peel on. Like, he just does so many things that, as a person, you just don't like. <laughs> but now, we are going to put him up against Hendon Hooker, who was in an offense that was just so confusing. So, why do you take Hendon Hooker here over Will Levis? Both these guys seem to have plenty of warts. Yeah, so for starters, I was a recruiting uh, analyst for this Mickey Mouse offense. So I'm very aware of, you know, how it's structured, what Hypel wants to do and wants to accomplish with every single play. Um, we used to say that they want to score in three plays. That's that's how we would run things. And if you watch our offense, they usually take a shot between those for one to three plays or want to. And the reason for me to have Hooker over Levis is simply Levis can't really hit any portion of the field between like seven to 12 yards. He doesn't have any sort of touch with his football. And like Hooker, at least from an arm talent perspective, he could throw it the 60 yards, which is cool. That's not really what I want. But when it comes to the float, like he can actually throw a deep crosser where it's leading a receiver to a spot. He's catching it in stride and going upfield and Again, he performed much better in the SEC. Maybe, yes, he wasn't a better offense, but Levis in a pro-style offense with his offense line actually being somewhat better in 2021 than 2022, you saw the just pocket awareness fails. You saw the inaccuracy issues. Like He can't really hit the levels of the field with his quote-unquote cannon of an arm, and 
that's just where it leaves me to not really want to buy into it. Like he feels like a prospect that is the Drew Locke that is similar to like a processor like Carson Wentz was when he came out and what we saw now that, you know, he got taken out of a Doug Peterson style situation. And it's, you know, it's two guys that I don't think should be first round picks. I think Seattle in the second pick, if they move back, maybe even a little bit further, makes sense for Hooker to be behind Geno Smith, just because I think DK Metcalf there is a perfect receiver to have for someone who wants to throw to the boundary, wants to throw downfield that way. But other than that, I don't think either of these guys should be first round picks, but I think they sh- or Hooker should be a second. So Jordan, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a curveball here at you. All right. This is something that is not on our show sheet, but I want to approach this from a dynasty fantasy perspective here. Let's say you're in one of these super flex leagues, right? I think a lot of people are, are coming to this crossroads where all of your, your top quarterbacks, your top three quarterbacks are off the board. Your top skill players are off the board. You start to get to that like middle end of the first round of your draft and you're looking at, okay, I really need a quarterback. Do I just shoot my shot with a guy like Hooker or Levis or do, do would you stick with some of these other skill guys like a Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, Quentin Johnston, any of those other players? I think if Hooker ended up with maybe I'm trying to think of the team. that like, I know this is something that takes a bit more nuance, yeah, yeah. right? In the question like landing spot and so many things that go into it. I don't think I would be willing to spend a first just because of the amount of running backs in this class that should earn a role right away, especially in some of the receivers that they're not necessarily high upside guys, but like a Josh Downs in the right situation can perform like a PPR monster if he's just getting the slot and he's holding that fully for every single snap. But um, as far as Hooker, I think I would be willing to take him probably 202. Two of one. I don't really think he's going to be a big impact on my fantasy rosters, even in a dynasty superflex league. So here we have our top five consensus fantasy quarterbacks from today's episode. Let's recap it really quick. At number one, we've got CJ Stroud. At quarterback two, Anthony Richardson. Three, Bryce Young. Four, Hendon Hooker. And at five, the man that puts mayonnaise in his coffee and eats bananas whole, Will Levis. You deserve to be at five for doing the destructive things you do, sir. <laughs> Well, that's all for us today. I'll be back next week with a panel of football guys experts for a special NFL mock draft live show. It's going to be very different than what we normally do here on pretend GM. Uh, very excited about that. And the draft guys, it is really, really close. How many days away? What are we talking about? Just uh, like 10 days, if I believe. We're getting really close, close to the NFL draft. Yep, we're very close. So uh, I want to thank my special guests here today so much. You guys provided such awesome insight. Uh, Matt Waldman, Jordan Van Eck, uh, you guys have just been phenomenal. Thank you so much for myself, for Jordan, for Matt. Adios. <laughs> <laughs>